Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, where we are getting some extra time with the speaker from last Sunday's message to go a little deeper, get some extra thoughts about the message, and get a behind-the-scenes look at their teaching process. We're your hosts, Mark and Jess. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Menlo Midweek. Welcome to Menlo Midweek, everybody. My name is Mark. My name is Jessica. We have Phil with us today. What's up, everybody? Phil, you're three months in. Yes, sir. You're doing it. Congratulations. Yep, here we are. How's All right. It it's our 90 day. Yeah. So now there's oh, an yeah. evaluation we Surprise, have for you. Evaluation. I wish that this um, was, yeah, we, I know you would love said, that. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it right now. <laughs> Sounds amazing. I would absolutely love that. Yeah. It's pretty much just been smooth sailing honeymoon. Yeah. Nice and easy. Yeah, and no easy. big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's been the best part so far? Uh, I mean, I'm not just saying this to pander. Like the community of people that call Menlo Church home. Man, that community is incredible. Yeah. And uh, people that just love Jesus well, love one another well, love the communities that they live, work, and play in so well, are uh, kind and can hold space and nuance in a culture that is desperately pressing into us to not do any of those things well. Uh, so, you know, it's it's easy for me in the, like, leadership, preaching, life stuff to feel like sometimes it can feel a little heavy. Um, but I think anytime I get to interact, whether that's at one of our campuses or even like this morning, just ran into somebody just in the world of life, you know, um, and just to a person, the level of kindness and, um, yeah, just, just a spirit that I am really, really profoundly thankful Mm -hmm. for. So that's the part of a process when you're praying and trying to determine whether or not God wants you to go somewhere um, that's the part of the process you really have to trust in because you're not, you're just, I mean, by the time people know who you are, people are generally sort of in favor of you coming in, mm-hmm. um, and a few months in kind of the guard starting to come down for folks a little bit and telling me a little bit more of their story. And, um, yeah, whether that's people sending emails or grabbing coffee or running into people on the weekends, uh, that's been a really, really special treat. Very thankful. And you've been here for about three months now. We've taken a little break from sponsors, but we're bringing that back today. And so oh. have there been any restaurants or places you visited or shops that, you know, you just want to give a shout out to because they're our de facto sponsor for yeah, today's yeah, episode. Yeah. So uh, I got an e-bike. Oh. Uh, I told you this, right, Mark? Mm-hmm. I think I told you. Um, and it was from a shop here in Menlo Park. And I'm about to find out what the name of it is. Is it on the corner on Santa Cruz? Uh, is it on the corner? No. Mm-hmm. Woodside Bike Shop. It's oh, on El Camino. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to Woodside Bike Shop. There, there's some great bike shops around here, but they were really kind. They are, um, they were like a authorized, uh, retailer for the specific bike that I wanted. And so they offered it. They like matched an online price, which a lot of small shops don't do. And, mm-hmm. um, they're great. So shout out. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Go to menlo.church slash Woodside Bike Shop for your promo code. Yep. Yeah. Here, here. Find <laughs> just a kidding. Please don't do that. And email mmorinishi at menlo.church. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. We'll hook yep. you up somehow. <laughs> we'll try That's to right. do it. We are in Holy Week, Phil. Um, I don't know if anyone used that language on Sunday, but... And scrolling or something like that, some family members asked me, Mark, what is Holy Week and yeah. what is Palm Sunday? Can you break that down for That's us? That's good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jesus, when we think about the life of Jesus depicted in the Gospels, 
uh, by and large, you know, you have three years of public ministry, a little bit obviously around Jesus' birth, um, but three years of public ministry, and then you have, say, like a book like Mark, uh, for, for the Gospel of Mark, a third of the volume of Mark is in this final week. And so uh, Jesus is like intentionally trying to delay telling people who he is on purpose. Like it's a very clear reason. He doesn't want people to know all the details. He doesn't spill all the tea because he'll get crucified too quickly. And so there, if people are ever like, why is Jesus vague? Why does Jesus tell people not to say who he is? So that he'll get the three years. That's why. Hmm. And so in this final week, uh, sort of all of that comes off, and he's just going for it, telling people who he is, uh, what he's there to do. He's breaking it down. Like the, we'll talk about this um, a little bit heading into this weekend. Uh, I think on Good Friday, uh, where yeah, on Good Friday, uh, we'll talk about how Peter finally like says, "Hey, you're the Christ," and Jesus is like, "Fantastic, great." And then it says, "And from that point on, Jesus clearly explained." To his disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem. People are going to be super excited to see me. They're going to lay branches down for me to walk across. Uh, and then days later, they're going to crucify me. And that's when Peter was like, oh, no, that's, I'm never going to let that happen. And that's when Jesus goes from calling Peter the rock to, like, not Dwayne Johnson, but just <laughs> the, the, the metaphorical rock of the church. Spoiler alert, that um, he's in the Passion of the yeah, Christ, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. He plays Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just a little cameo. Uh, to, to calling him Satan, and so pretty big, pretty big swing. Mm. Um, and I'll talk about that on Good Friday. Um, but this week just represents a whole bunch of that really intense sequencing from what I would say is sort of the the peak of public approval for Jesus. Uh, that's when we think about Palm Sunday, and then Holy Week is really sometimes um, um, in Roman Catholic theology they would talk about the stations of the cross, kind of the mm-hmm. the specific steps from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And so uh, you have these really powerful moments, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and then, um, you know, ultimately Jesus dies on the cross, uh, and then on the third day, that's important phrasing, on the third day, uh, he comes back from the grave and appears, and he, you know, Jesus doesn't, like, open his Easter basket and then ascend. Jesus is around for literally weeks in his resurrected body, Paul says at one point he uh, appears to more than 500 people at once, uh, which is just mm. shocking, like mm. just absolutely shocking, and then eventually ascends uh, to heaven. So this week is, uh, yeah, in the story, like the the final scene, you know, you're like everything is building to this one moment. That's kind of why we think about it as Holy Week. So... S- this past Sunday was Palm Sunday, and you said as Jesus came in, they put palm leaves on the ground. What is the significance of that? Uh, I mean, the people were identifying Jesus as the Messiah, and so they were finally going, like, there's a level of honor. Jesus walks across on a donkey. Like, they're fulfilling prophecy. Mm. And so uh, the, it, it, even Jesus, like, if you go to read the narrative, Jesus tells his guys, like, hey, go to this one dude, tell him that I need his donkey. And tell him it was cool, like I sent you. <laughs> like, have you ever had a conversation? And I mean, Jesus is just at this point, early in his ministry, even as a child, we see Jesus walk into the temple, roll open the scrolls, and read a, a passage from Isaiah and say, in your presence, this passage is being fulfilled. Mm. <laughs> You're like, Who's the, who brought the, was it, was it take your kid to work day? Like, what? <laughs> I don't understand. Um, and so there, there's just like this unique 
level to which Jesus is sort of weaving in uh, prophetic fulfillment throughout his life. And then in the final week, if you just take the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry and even things like we talked about Psalm 22, um, where you know Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as a parallel to Psalm 22? The Jewish people would not have seen Psalm 22 as a messianic prophecy. But Jesus is like, oh, it was. It's mm-hmm. actually about it's about me. And so you just see that over and over and over again. And Palm Sunday is one more expression of that. Is there like an actual significance of what that means to put palm leaves on the oh, ground? Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm sure that know. there is. Yeah, I don't, I don't know it offhand. Same with a donkey. Like if Jesus was here today, would a donkey be a Tesla? Ooh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. The, we should just start calling Teslas the donkey of Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's good. Which model, though? You know, yeah. it's got to be the X. You think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the one you have? No, I have the Y. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Y is like the the three and the Y are especially when I got it. It was like the affordable version of it. Uh, I got it for cheaper than anyone has ever gotten a Y probably ever since. Uh, but the X is like one of the crazy expensive where the doors like open crazy and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the X. So it's pretty fun. Yeah. Probably not what Jesus was riding in on. My my guess is it wasn't. Yeah. I was like, mm. If he did, the doors were open, right? <laughs> like just <laughs> just yep. scraping palm leaves yeah, with yeah. his hand as he's going by. <laughs> just throw palm leaves in. Just throw Definitely. them in. And because it's so detailed, uh, or we have a third of this of a book dedicated mm-hmm. to this last week, can we actually follow Jesus day by day with what he's doing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's that's called a harmony. So if you're ever like looking for a specific. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four accounts of Jesus' life called the Gospels, which is confusing because then we talk about the Gospel. The Gospel is the good news <laughs> of Jesus, that he lived a life we couldn't, died the death that we should, came back from the grave so that we can turn from our own way, believe and receive the gift he's made available, choose to follow him for the rest of our life, experience better life today, and eternal life waiting. That's the Gospel message. Slower than that, but you get it. <laughs> you uh, do it in half speed. Yeah, when yeah. You're listening. and then yeah, perfect. If, you, if somebody's listening to this like one point five, that was a fun experience. For them. <laughs> um, and then the gospels, right, are the stories of Jesus' life. But if you uh, the, and they're all, what's beautiful about the gospels is they're written uh, from different personalities to different audiences. Mm-hmm. And so some people will look at gospel accounts and they'll be frustrated because they go, well, why? it seems like it contradicts. Well, uh, it, they don't. So just step one, that's my presupposition is that they don't. Um, but then also we have to ask, okay, so why does one author focus on some things that are different? So Matthew's a good example. Um, Matthew is a tax collector who is writing to a primarily Jewish audience. And so he's writing it differently. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to go, hey, what does it look like to really emphasize the fulfillment of known messianic prophecies, promises made about Jesus before his life? Matthew's a great book to go read for that, especially in a study Bible, because it'll connect the dots for you. Mm-hmm. If you go, hey, you know what? Uh, what's the gospel that was really written for people that had no faith connection uh, and were coming to this kind of completely blank or from a secular perspective, that would be the Gospel of John, uh, which is written really from someone that was by and large uneducated and written sort of focusing on the cosmological or the big picture of God and history in the world. Um, But if you take all of them, they make these things called the harmonies of the Gospels, where they will try to bring all of them together and basically give you one kind of full look 
informed by all the different gospel accounts. So there's a bunch of different harmonies. So uh, to your point, Mark, if you in this last week, you can go find a harmony of the gospels that will actually probably give you like a, hey, it's, uh, you know, Tuesday of Holy Week. What was Jesus doing today? Mm-hmm. It's Wednesday of Holy Week. And there's going to be some, uh, we'll call it uh, scholarly license about what's where, mm-hmm. uh, but could be really helpful. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite things about this week is it's one of the few times where we can actually point to saying, man, on this day, perhaps Jesus was doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is really helpful for me trying to enter into this time. And you talked a little bit about cultivating rhythms of coming back to God in your message. Uh, and for me, that is something that I like to set my mind upon this week is what was Jesus doing today? Mm. And I think it's it just bridges the gap a little bit differently than... Or it puts the pieces together in my mind in a way that isn't necessarily able to do that in a lot of other time throughout the year. So, Phil, can you dive into your message a little bit from last week um, for those that might have missed it? And then we'll ask some questions from there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've been in the last words of Jesus from the cross. And so this week uh, we were looking at the phrase, uh, it is finished, uh, or in the Greek, it's tetelestai, if you've ever heard of that word before. We translate that one word into three words, and if you want to get more confused, the root of that word in Greek is used three times in this one sentence, and I think it's used six times outside of that sentence in the entire New Testament, I think. I think that's true. Uh, so obviously, pretty unique word, emphasis very, very clear here. So I was trying to identify, like, there's a very big difference between when it feels like we have just run out of gas and when it feels like we have crossed the finish line well. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, for you, Mark, the, the people listening hopefully have, have heard that Mark ran 50 miles for you all. Uh, shout out. And um, I think, you know, I'm guessing, knowing the way you ran that, that 10 miles in as you cross the finish line you probably felt a lot better than 50 miles in when you crossed the finish line, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I think that there is this sense in which we can kind of see Jesus at the end of his life and we go, oh my gosh, he just sort of collapsed across the finish line. Um, and I think this word, this sentence, and this moment uh, shows us maybe just how much that wasn't the case. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for Jesus... Uh, he is on the cross, hanging there, dying of asphyxiation, most likely. And uh, the thing that would have been most difficult for him to do is talk. Uh, and so when he shouts, it is finished, or uh, we see in another gospel account, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Uh, he could have said all of that inside. <laughs> mm. you know, like he could have thought about all that. Yeah. He said it out loud for our benefit. And so uh, it's, it's very clear that at one point he just kind of goes... And uh, I have had a chance to uh, be at the bedside of people over the years as they've breathed their last breath. Mm. And there are people where every breath is labored, and the second they stop trying, you can tell that they're going to pass. And then there are people where they were waiting for a loved one to get there, you know, Mm -hmm. and they said their goodbye or whatever, and they were literally just hanging on for a very specific purpose to do something. And I think in Jesus, we see someone that. He was committed to being obedient to the very last breath. And so we just talked about 
that idea of what we see in Jesus, and hopefully, you know, it kind of by parallel for us to learn these lessons that we have borrowed authority and borrowed time, um, that we are not the masters of our own universe and we are not immortal, uh, which our culture is trying to constantly convince us of those two lies, that we are our own authority, we do whatever we want, we say whatever we want, um, we are the only voice that matters, and even though there's lots of evidence uh, to the contrary, that we are essentially immortal and invincible. And uh, if Jesus modeled that that's not true for him, uh, that should have some direct impact for us as well. Mm. So, Yeah. And you started this whole talk by talking about culture, talking about uh, different polarizing figures as well. I thought that that was in- interesting. <laughs> Anytime there's a list of polarizing fi- figures to start off a message, it always perks my ears. Sure. Yeah. Uh, why'd you choose to start that way? Yeah, I mean, I think as Christians, it's easy to think about Jesus as not that polarizing, mm. uh, but culture does. Like, mm. you know, and that list, it was from Forbes, I think, um, that list, the way that they sourced it, and I didn't, I mean, this is, this is what's helpful about a podcast like this is that we can break it down, but uh, I didn't break down how they've quantified it. Yeah. Uh, the way that they quantified their list, it was like top 100, I think, most controversial figures in history, it was by number of regular Wikipedia edits of those people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so now like you have all this filters, right, that you're putting Mm. in, you're like, whoa. So, you know, if you didn't hear number five is Hitler, number four is Barack Obama, number three was Jesus, number two was Michael Jackson, which just was like this weird (laughs) ad, and then number one, George W. Bush. And so those names, like... Of the internet right now, people are just going and hammering those, and the only one really in any sort of recency within, uh, you know, beyond more than a century um, for a lot of the list is Jesus. And so uh, there's still lots of people talking about him, and uh, part of that is because of what people do with what he said, And um, but this idea of let's understand that uh, Jesus was a polarizing figure. He is a polarizing figure. And that's a part of how we understand and think about him because he confounded expectations. Mm. And so if the Jesus we worship does not confound our expectations, we should be careful that we're not worshiping ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And a big through line of this whole message was time and how Jesus and time intersected at the cross, how Jesus... And I was curious as Jesus at being so controversial, but he has a different understanding of time yeah, yeah. than we do. How does Jesus's understanding of time affect his ministry, affect how he spoke to people, affect mm-hmm. his perspective? And you might not have an answer to this, but as I was listening, I was like, as someone that thinks about time linearly and just went back and watched Interstellar uh, the other oh day as gosh. I was sick and saw a clear parallel with yeah. different dimensions in time, how does Jesus's perspective of time intersect with his earthly ministry? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question, yeah. and it's it's pretty deep theology. Like, there's been a lot of work done around this conversation, because the layers that you have to think about it, the, Jesus, as he is expressed as the second member of the Trinity, right, the, uh, the Godhead, one God and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who have lived in eternity past, will live in et- into eternity future. Yes, 33 years where um, we see this hypostatic union of fully God and fully man, where he is 
Uh, he really is. He does not just appear to be. He really is a human being with mm. all of the limitations that we have with, you know, like he lived the timeline and what he knew or didn't know, we don't really get spelled out. Like mm-hmm. there's lots mm-hmm. of, there's lots of uh, conversation around that. But I think what we can know is that prior to Jesus' incarnation, so before he is, begins his earthly ministry, uh, he is existing as a component of the Godhead in which time is an invented reality for our benefit. Uh, and so, like today, hmm. uh, God does not see the future. He exists in the future. Yeah. And so whatever we're waiting for, wherever we're going, I wonder what that's going to look like. I wonder how that's going to turn out. I wonder what they're going to grow up to be like. I, you know, God isn't going, oh, I know how. He's saying, like, I'm with them in that future moment right now at the same time as I'm in this moment. So it's why I think when we read prophecy in the Bible, there is usually, the way it's referred to as near, far, and ultimate fulfillment, that there's something prophetically that will come to pass very close to when it's being written. There's something that will come up later, and then there's this ultimate in the story of humanity uh, fulfillment of that prophecy. And I, and I think one of the reasons God describes it that way is because that's how God experiences it, right? Mm-hmm. For us, it's like a telescope that we look out um, and we kind of like see these things and we know it's like one, two, three, and God's like, no, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually in all of those at the same time. And so uh, I think that is just a powerful reality. Like Jesus spent eternity being able to be in the moment, literally hold the molecules of the crucifixion together. Uh, but in Holy Week, he for the first time experienced it as a human being. And that's a level mm. of theology I don't, I don't think any of us can really articulate. Like, uh, you know, the kenosis of Jesus or the emptying of, of his divine power. Um, Philippians talks about that. Uh, how does he experience it in that moment? Like he clearly, he is aware of his calling. He's aware of his true identity. He's aware of these messianic prophecies. He's lived a life perfectly faithful without sin. Um, but he is experiencing this sequentially in a way he never had before and he never will again. Um, and it, like the question of what did that feel like? Man, I have no idea. Mm. But I would imagine... When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think he was running lines. Like, I think that's how he really felt. Mm. And uh, we have to do something with that. That's a, that's a theological reality in the incarnation and crucifixion of Jesus that oftentimes I think we want to look away from. Yeah. I, I do. Mm-hmm. So That's such a fascinating concept to think that he had experienced that moment before but not as a human, and then he experienced it as a human, and it was different. Right. Well, and, and not just like, he didn't experience it infinite times, right? Like, yeah. we just think so sequentially. Yeah. He hadn't experienced it infinite times. He had experienced it infinitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He lives in every moment simultaneously, holding it molecularly together. Like, in him we live and we move and we have our being. Like, that's, that's the text of Colossians. Uh, the text of Ephesians, like we we are wrapped up in the person of Jesus. He didn't make the clock. We don't worship a deistic God. Uh, he is infinitely in every every good decision you make and every bad decision. The Book of Hebrews says that 
uh, the Holy Spirit grieves our sin because he has a front row seat to the choices that we're making. And in this crazy philosophical reality, God is actually still holding your molecules together when you choose to sin. And so like Jesus had had done that infinitely through all of this pain, um, but experiencing it as a human being, that was something that he could never do until he was doing it as fully God and fully man in the incarnation. So what do you think, Jess? <laughs> it's too early. <laughs> it's, I just, it's one of those things that, you know, I was a Christian my whole life. Was, I am, have been. And you just, some of these things you just can't fathom. Like right. you just can't actually understand in our human brains. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something about the beauty of that in the incarnation that I, I think, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, uh, it's easy to go, well, that's why faith exists. Yeah. And, and it's mm-hmm. like, it's true. But also I would just say there's a, there's a depth to pondering uh, that I think we don't do very well. Like we want the answers mm-hmm. instantly. And if we can't find them, we'll Google it. And if Google can't figure it out, we'll ask chat GPT. But being able to say, hey, in the Imago day, like in the createdness, in the image bearing nature of God, uh, God, what does it look like for me to process and think about who I am in you and what you experienced for me? Uh, and maybe for you this week, that's like a part of what it means to think about and process and prepare your own heart to celebrate Good Friday and Easter uh, is, to, is to understand the implications. This is, not, this is not a fairy tale. We're not thinking back to you know, our favorite movie that describes this, like we're looking back at a historic event that took place and was the fulcrum of human history. And as we look ahead to Good Friday and Easter, how can we bring this perspective of Jesus's last words as he's up there on, on the cross? How can we be thinking about that this week? And how can we have that really set our minds and hearts on what's to come for Sunday? Yeah, I think... Sometimes we share a version of the gospel. Remember, you know, there's those two of them. Like the, when we share the, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, uh, we can pretty much just immediately run to God loves you and there's a hope for you forever. And that's so true. And like, I think absolutely should be where a lot of our focus lives. But I, I think the reason that there is good news is because there's really bad news. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that there's a clearer moment in the scriptures that shows us how bad we really are, <laughs> not, not holistically. We're not all bad, but we are all bad. And there's a key distinction in that. It's a theological construct called total depravity, if you're ever interested in exploring it. It doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we could possibly be. It just means that we are broken. It means that we're fallen creatures. And how does God feel about that, right? Like, this, this isn't a cosmic battle between Jesus and Satan. And Jesus had to pay the debt to Satan to get us back from hell, which is the way I think like a lot of us as Christians just sort of get wired in because we don't want to make God the bad guy. And so even if we've never heard those words, there's something in us that's like, oh, yeah, that feels, that feels better, kind of yin and yang. Like we, we incorporate mm-hmm. this sort of 50-50 thought into it. Um, but it is not Satan who is pouring wrath into Jesus on the cross. It's God the Father pouring wrath onto Jesus for us on the cross. We are paying the debt that we owe uh, to God through the work of Jesus on our behalf. It's a theological construct called penal penal substitutionary atonement. 
you're interested in Googling things. Um, but, but this idea that when we look at the cross, the fact that Jesus had to suffer all of this should help us to understand, A, that we are probably far more wicked than we want to admit, and B, we are far more valuable to God than we ever thought possible. And uh, there's a great Keller quote about that that I'll misquote if I try to just do it freehand. But um, I think that as we think about this week, if you're somebody that just runs to Easter, man, linger on Good Friday. And uh, if you've never attended a Good Friday service, I think we got a couple campuses that are doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, check those out. Uh, but I, I think um, if if you're somebody that maybe you don't really think a lot about Easter and you just do Good Friday, there's a handful of those out there. I'd say lean into Easter. But the the beauty of this weekend, the beauty of this week, is all of it comprehensively. Don't run to the day that corresponds to your theological comfort zone. Experience all of it mm-hmm. together um, because I think that that's, uh, there's, there's such beauty in that for us that we can experience the good news of Jesus and we don't have to run from that. We don't have to go, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I don't have to feel about a God that has wrath to pour out against me. Like, fantastic. I totally get it. Um, and that is so hard for us because we live in a moral construct moment where there is no absolute truth, but we serve a God who is actually holy. And so to coexist with that holy God for all of eternity, there needed to be a perfect sacrifice. That's literally the point of the entire Hebrew scripture is mm. to just show God's people over and over again, you can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. And they have this whole system, uh, but just like we talked about last week, that entire system, according to the author of Hebrews, was really just a shadow. You know, Paul says it's our tutor uh, to show us that we ultimately needed Jesus. And so this week is this capstone project of the work of God uh, to show us just how much we needed Jesus, just how serious our problem was, just how incredible the love of God is, and the lengths to which the God of the universe, who literally spoke it into existence. There's a line from um, Hillsong, one of, uh, I mean, I cannot remember, it's a beautiful song. Um, I'll, I'll look it up, but it, it's a line like, uh, on the hill you created, on the hill you created, mm. you hung and died. You're just like, like, that is a crazy reality. Like, Jesus is literally holding the molecules of the cross together that he's hanging on. Mm. That is a a wild ride of the Easter week. Mm -hmm. I know it's easy for me, uh, we talk about Enneagram 7 and just glossing over all the hard things. It was always easy for me to look past Good Friday, just kind of glance over it like, oh yeah, you know, but it's like, you can't have Good Friday or you can't have Easter without Good Friday. And so if you're in that space, I just want to encourage you to, you know, grab one of our Lent books. We have them online. Um, Literally Google anything about how to, how to process Good Friday, how to study Good Friday, read it from the Bible, come to one of our services. We got Mountain View in Menlo Park at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. We'll also be live streaming the Menlo Park one if you want to stay at home. Um, they're, and they're beautiful services, and they're a great way to kick off the weekend that leads us to Easter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Look at you with all the details. That was amazing. <laughs> She's really good at that. Yeah, I think uh, it's the song "So Will I" by Holson. Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah. The Beautiful the line song. is "God of salvation, you chase down my heart," which is actually an adaptation from a historic quote from 
Charles Spurgeon, I believe, talking about mm. the hound of heaven. Uh, through all of my failure and pride, on a hill you created. This is the this is the line. On a hill you created, the light of the world, abandoned in darkness, to die. Mm. That, like mm. th- that's how much God loves us, and that's how much we needed the grace of God. Yeah, mm. it's crazy. It's powerful. It is crazy. Phil, why is Good Friday good? I've I've received some questions mm-hmm. about this before from friends that are, that are like that seems a little tone deaf. Why, how <laughs> yeah, yeah, how yeah. would that be a good uh, yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Yeah, <laughs> Good Friday is good because Sunday's coming, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's another song, um, a, the, the thing is Elevation Track, um, that there was this tomb that was borrowed for three days, right? And like they didn't phrase it that way, yeah. But that's a baller way to phrase it, you know? Like, <laughs> hey, is it cool? I just need that tomb just for like three yeah, days. Just gotta like, take a little nap. Uh, where are you going after that? Don't even worry about it. It's great. Yeah. It's gonna be fine. I just need it for three days. Well, we have it reserved on Monday. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, fine. Totally yeah, I'll great. be out by that. Actually, matter of fact, yeah. I'll I'll fold my linens for you. Don't even worry about it. Um, and so uh, I think <laughs> like Airbnb too. Anyway, um, so I, I think because we now know the resurrection's coming. Then you see really what we look at when we when we say Good Friday, we're not looking at the events that are good. We're looking at the outcome that's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there is it, it's good because we're bad and God does something great with it. And I want to make sure you know if you're listening to this, you're like Phil thinks human beings are really really horrible. Um, I would say I think that there is a tension we don't often know what to do with, that we're created in the image of God with infinite dignity, value, and worth. I would say that's true for everyone, if you're a follower of Jesus or not. And uh, not only do we not obey the perfect will of God measured by his holiness, the Apostle Paul says we actually don't even, we don't even meet our own standards. Like, even if you're not a Christian, and you go, well, I don't know if I believe all the Bible stuff. I'm so tired of you guys giving the do's and don'ts and all that stuff. The thing that's hilarious to me, we've watched it over and over again through all of human history, is that we are terrible at following our own rules. It's why we cancel people mm-hmm. in our culture, mm-hmm. because we're constantly setting up new rules, and then we're violating our own rules. And those aren't even God's standards. Those are ours. And so, yes, creating the image of God, infinite dignity, value, and worth, and sinful and broken at the same time. And the sinful, broken part is what God was trying successfully to address in the person and work of Jesus. Mm. That's why Good Friday is good. That's why Good Friday is good. Love it. So, Phil, anything else, any lingering thoughts, anything else you'd like to unpack as we're journeying towards Good Friday this week? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think everybody experiences... Uh, everybody, if you're, if you've been a Christian for a while, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm, I'm guessing that probably you've been a Christian for a little bit, but if not, man, I'm so glad you're listening. Mm-hmm. Um, Easter and Good Friday and these traditions, they can become kind of rote. Like they just, mm. they become these things that we do all the time. And, uh, spoiler alert, like I've, I've preached a few Easter messages before, <laughs> a few Christmas messages before. Um, and so I think, uh, a while ago, I had to sort of come to grips with, uh, you, you have to infuse your present reality into the Easter and Christmas story in order to keep it fresh. Like, what does it mean for you to say, okay, Lord, as I think about uh, Good Friday and Easter and Holy Week, and um, what is it about my life right now? Kind of like, a, I think it might have been Matt Summers that talked about this. 
like a diamond, right? Like it has all these different yeah. facets. Yeah. Where, where, where are we in this conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a beautiful way to look at the scriptures to say the person and work of Jesus, God puts me in a different place. And so I'm looking at the same thing, but I now get to see a different facet. I get to see a different angle of it. I think that's a great way to look at it. So folks were very, very kind this last week, but uh, I talked from stage about how my mom had passed away a week earlier, and I was literally coming back the Sunday previous and got a phone call in the airport on the other way, on the way out of security uh, from someone who had found my mom. And, uh, you know, my mom and I are very close, uh, one of the closest people in the world to me, like next to my wife. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, really hard. I grew up in a home with abuse, uh, physical abuse to my brothers, sexual abuse to my sisters from my dad, from my, to my sister from my dad. Uh, my dad and I had a, a beautiful end to his life. He passed four years ago. God did some great stuff, but it was still painful and hard. And um, and my mom was my safe person through all of that. And my mom also uh, was a first generation uh, Russian Jew who became a Christian in her twenties. And so even like we, we had something come up earlier where somebody, one of you said, hey, what about the palm branches? Like what was the significance in Jewish culture to that? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, two weeks ago, I would have written that down in my notebook. And the next time I talked to my mom, I would have asked her about mm-hmm. it. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. And even in that moment, these like little tinges where you're like, I don't, I don't get to do it that way anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, for me, part of experiencing Easter this year is experiencing it through the lens of simultaneously my loss of my mom. And the gain of the fact that my mom will experience her first Easter in mm. heaven with Jesus. And you're like, well, I mean, awesome and ugh, like, yeah. you know? And so I, I would just encourage you, maybe, maybe your Easter is not that dramatic. Like maybe that's not your story this year, but maybe for you, you're in a different season of life. Maybe for you, you're in a different role at work or you're in a, di- you're in a different job entirely. Maybe you live somewhere new. Um, but what does it look like like a diamond, thanks, shout out to Matt Summers, uh, what does it look like, like a diamond to understand, even though the, even though the event hasn't changed, my, my position, my perspective, my frame of reference uh, to Easter has, and as I look at it, aware of my present reality, holding space in my present reality, I can appreciate it in a new way. And so uh, I just encourage folks to do that, because if you don't, um, that, that cynicism that is inside of all of us will just creep up. And, you know, it's like the been there, done that, have the T-shirt. Like, I think for a lot of us as Christians around Easter, we could whip out that T-shirt. We could just kind of know what's coming. Um, and we, we don't let ourselves experience this Easter in a way that we can only experience this Easter. And I think with my dad, when he died, for about six months, I really did just sort of bury it mm-hmm. um, for lots of reasons. But I just, you know, it's like, I got to just keep going. Um, and then, uh, I was, I was on a trip, fly fishing trip and God finally kind of broke through, but there were moments like, especially that first father's day after my dad died, that I was just like not emotionally present. Mm -hmm. I was not letting myself process what I was feeling. And I'm really trying to spend time thinking about processing and, and being present at times, even if it means I'm just kind of staring off into space. Uh, Hey, this is, this is my first Easter without my mom. And that's a big, big, big deal. And some days I'm pretty good at processing it and handling it. Um, and then other days I impulse buy a PS5. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, they're good and bad. So that's my encouragement as you think about this Easter, uh, this Easter and this moment in your life, those two things together 
will never be this way again. So don't waste that the Lord has given you that position to look at the diamond of Easter this way again. Mm. Thanks for your vulnerability in that. I think a lot of yeah, people really resonate with maybe something traumatic happened in the last, you know, couple months and this is their first Easter and yeah. just being able to also just the humanness of it's not easy to process these things and we all do it one way or another and whatever way it is is the way that you can do it and and I, and I think yeah. if, you, if you're like me, uh, I have this, na- like I've, I've had to keep it together, right? Like I've mm. had to be on for a long time in my life. And especially from a speaking perspective, there are, there are these places, these like sort of internal governors, you know, like when you drive a car, there's mm-hmm. a limit to how fast that car can go. And you get to it and you feel the car slowing down, not because it has to, but because there's something inside of it that's conditioned it that way. Uh, I think sometimes if you're like me, uh, you have governed your emotions, uh, and I've gotten pretty good at that in my life, especially when you grow up with trauma. You like you kind of have to just to yeah. survive. Um, and through therapy and spiritual direction and help and support and uh, the Lord doing some work in me, I think that I want to do it in safe places. I don't want to. I don't want to just like fall apart with a microphone. Um, but I think even this last week, being able to go, uh, hey, there were moments where around the loss of my mom. I could feel tears welling up, and I know the internal things I could do to turn that off. Mm. I know I can change the subject. I know I can think differently about something else. I know. Uh, and then there were a couple times where I just, like, went into a room and didn't. Mm. Like, went into a room mm. and let myself keep dwelling, keep thinking about, keep lingering on the hurt and the loss. And it meant tears. Mm. And, uh, and I would say if, if you are like me in that way, and you just feel like, well, grownups don't let this affect them that way. Mm. Uh, grownups who are not well integrated do not let it affect them that way. That's true. Uh, but grownups who are well integrated, who take that experience and let, let it teach and show them and Jesus show up in that, you find ways. And if you've never done this before, that's why we're such big fans of therapy. Um, but I, I just think there's, uh, there's something I'm learning anew in this season where I would say like I am probably... Yeah, I'm not sure it's an exaggeration to say, like, I'm probably crying every day about my mom, which it, in a normal year, I'm crying zero times in that mm. year. So uh, I, I just think to give yourself permission to, to feel, especially if you're feeling something really hard. Mm-hmm. Jesus yeah. wept, too. He did. Yep. Mm-hmm. Shortest verse in the Bible. If anybody ever says, mm-hmm. do you have any Bible verses memorized? Yep, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. What's the reference? You know what? The references got invented by people later. I don't add that to my scripture memory. Done. You got it. You won. Mm-hmm. Well, Phil, how can we be, be caring for and praying for your family? Uh, I will leave on a red eye Easter night uh, to go really kind of take care of my mom's affairs. I'm the executive of her estate. Uh, and so pray for Alyssa and the kids as they navigate some more time with me away. They'll come for the memorial at the end of that week. Mm. Um, you know, and our kids are... You know, they didn't have a ton of time with my mom in the last handful of years because of her health. Um, but she was just visiting uh, this last uh, fall in Colorado. So they all have some memory of her now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a great trip, and I'm so glad that we could do it. Like, looking back, it was so providential and kind of the Lord to, to give us that last experience together. Um, and so for them to be able to process it well, that's one of the reasons I'm trying to process it well, so that they see it's okay to do that. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, for Alyssa, I didn't really think about this, but she was, she was relaying a conversation that she'd had with someone. 
And she was like, yeah, you know, and I was like, yeah, I just, I just lost my mother-in-law. And I was like, oh yeah, like Alyssa's mm-hmm. lost somebody too, you mm-hmm. know, like just is not in my head. And um, so, yeah, I, th- I think for all of us, as we process grief and, you know, it's, it's grief with, uh, like I've had folks send me stuff from Colorado. There's a group of guys I was a part of in Colorado that uh, sent me like a journal and a card that they'd all written in. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, very kind, you know, that, that, that was a really deep, significant community for us. And so Menlo has been so kind, but it's just a new place, new community. Yeah. Um, and so trying to juggle all that. And then uh, I would just say pray for my siblings. Um, uh, you know, my oldest brother uh, really became a follower of Jesus a handful of years ago, kind of in the middle of crisis. And I think that this is faith testing for him. Uh, my other brother, James, Uh, He's eight years older than me. When I was eight and he was 16, he ran away from home for 15 years. We thought he died. Uh, And then he ended up in prison on a lifetime sentence for international drug trafficking. And through some crazy, miraculous circumstances, my dad praying after almost dying, he resurfaced and saw this beautiful picture of reconciliation between my brother and my dad. And so um, that brother is still not like doing awesome. And so uh, he is really not doing awesome through this. My mom mm. and him were very close. He lived, he lives close to where she was. Mm. So that's going to be unique. And then my sister is just in a really hard place and uh, isn't even going to come up for the memorial. So just, oh, you know, wow. th- these, are, these are points in which, uh, yeah, God can do some really great stuff and I want him to, but um, I don't know how all those details are going to work out. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's, Long answer to it, and I think with my dad, I, I, uh, I let myself become a pastor pretty quick in conversations. Like, mm. be like, hey, how can I pray for you? And then pretty quickly, I was like praying for them and pastoring them. <laughs> um, and so I'm trying to be better. That when somebody sends me a note, and fo- lots of folks have sent stuff, and it's been mm-hmm. so kind. And I'll read them and process them, and then I'll just send a note that says, "Thank you so much." Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not letting myself uh, feel the the burden of trying to like mm. also mm-hmm. help someone else grieve beyond my family right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's where we are. We'll see, uh, we'll see what the Lord does with it. And then I'll be back. I mean, I'm literally helping with the memorial on Friday. I'll be back, uh, Friday night and then I'll, and then I'll teach that weekend. So it's going to be a little bit of a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you for sharing, Bill. Mm-hmm. Of course. There were a lot of people online that expressed, um, their condolences and are praying for you this week. Appreciate that. Um, it's a tender week for all of us. I mean, it's a tender week as we look through this story. It's especially tender for you and your family. And so uh, my my thoughts and my prayers are for you and your family and also for our community that we can all journey together towards Easter, that we could enter in looking at this story through each facet of this diamond that God has uniquely placed us in to look through it this week. And so... I'm I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'm grateful for this talk. And um, my really my hope and my prayer is that as we are preparing as a community towards Easter, that we would be led to be there ourselves in the most capacity that we have, but also potentially take a step and invite someone to come and join as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think if you have if you have people in your life that are not followers of Jesus, I think it's so important to remember they may not have a faith framework for what they're going through, but they're going through so much of what we're going through, right? In their own individual life mm-hmm. experience. But then, you know, I have a, I have a category to put the shooting that happened in Nashville. Like I, mm. this is not the way that's supposed to be. 
And I would love, I would love to see government officials uh, work together to come up with something that curbs uh, what we see as just this unfortunate refrain of violence over and over again in our nation. I'd love for it, a bipartisan, messy middle solution. That'd be incredible. I also know that it's not going to solve the problem of sin in our world. Right? Like I have a framework yeah. of that in my head. As I look at natural disasters and tornadoes tearing through our nation, as I look at awful, horrendous things, as a follower of Jesus, I can kind of go like, well, when the rocks cry out, like when creation is groaning mm. in the sounds of childbirth, I go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's this. Mm. Like, a, mm -hmm. this isn't working. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is the implications of sin on every level of creation in which God wants to bring restoration. Um, but your unchurched friends don't, don't have that. And so before you write off, I don't think that they would be interested. I would just say, it, it, maybe not, maybe they won't be, but um, they definitely won't be if you don't talk to them. Yeah. And uh, I think there's a lot of people in our world right now that if we come with a kind, winsome, open-handed approach to love them well, and at least provide our answer. Like, they may not like it. My whole thing at Easter, I'll say, uh, on Easter morning, I'll say, hey, if you're an unchurched person, and I'm basically teaching two unchurched people on Easter. That's pretty much my language. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, um, uh, you know, if you're an unchurched person, you came here because someone promised you brunch, and you're wondering how weird you're going to have to endure something <laughs> until brunch. And so thanks for coming. And I want to let you know, I have an agenda. My agenda is not that you would believe like I believe. My agenda is that you would believe that a reasonable faith exists. That's my agenda. That you would leave at the end of this hour believing that a reasonable faith exists. And, uh, and I think we all want that for people in our lives. I want that for my, like I was talking to a couple of my neighbors yesterday who I know are far from God. Uh, and I was literally just praying as we were talking hmm. that they would see in our family a reasonable faith. You can't convince your friends. If you convince your friends of following Jesus, if you convince them, that's a pretty fickle faith. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can demonstrate for them and share with them how you have a reasonable faith that pursues Jesus, I think he gives the Lord all he needs to reach mm -hmm. him. That's good. Okay, everybody. See you on Good Friday. <laughs> See Bye. You soon. See ya.